Our scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here to join us on this Memorial Day weekend. Typically not a lot of people here on this weekend, so we are very excited to see everyone that was able to make it. And if you are new, if you're visiting here, if this is, you know, home uh, for you guys, uh, we've been going through our uh, sermon series um, on the book of Ephesians, going over the meaning of the church. And as we officially kind of mark the, the second half of our sermon series, we begin to shift themes just a little bit, that in chapters 1 through 3, uh, we see that the Apostle Paul, he's emphasizing our union with Jesus. And now as we approach the latter half, he begins to emphasize our union with others. And in light of this union, that we are to glorify him, what is the meaning of the church. So I'm going to ask that you guys would join me in prayer this morning as we dive into the word. Lord, we want to come before you, almighty God. You are sovereign. You reign over every one of us. And forgive us when we forget that you are king and that you are conqueror over sin and suffering. And Lord God, as we are reminded that you are king, we give you all of the glory in worship this morning. For everyone here in this room right now, Lord God, we have a hard time identifying you as king, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you will reveal your grace, your mercy, your rule, and your love for us through your word this morning. And Lord God, I pray that that will be the truth for me right now. Lord, I desire, I ask that you will use me in my weakness. You will use me in my brokenness. In light of your glory, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. Oh, God, may you use me accordingly to your strength. Oh, we give you all of the glory. We thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Here at Metro, uh, the one thing we often highlight at our church, a core value for us, is this idea of being community dependent. And directly from our values, you can hear this, is that when the gospel transforms us from a self-reliant individual to one who embraces and pursues change in the context of deep relationships, this cultivates change in the community itself. See, in light of growing into the likeness and character of Jesus, it is just as vital in your growth, in your desire to be becoming more Christ-like. You must be surrounded with people that desire the very same thing, that if you desire to be more like Jesus, we are in ways called to surround ourselves with people that desire to be like Jesus. If I can say it this way, the power of the gospel 
it transforms you to be more dependent on the person and work of Christ. But in the same way, it's the very power of the gospel that should transform you to be more dependent on the people of Christ and dependable as the people of Christ. See, the idea of community dependency is biblical. I promise you that it's not just always my third point of a sermon just because it's a core value of the church. The idea of community dependency is based on Scripture, and we begin to see this in Ephesians chapter 4. As we begin into the second half of Ephesians, we begin to shift themes from our union with Christ, and now we're talking about our union within the body of Christ. And when the Apostle Paul says that it's about the body of Christ, specifically, we are just talking about community. So I have three points church as we talk about community three points this morning the calling to community the commitment to community and finally the hope in community first point is the call to community so here we start in verse one if you could read with me as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received now, although the Apostle Paul, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul specifically here, he doesn't talk in apostle language. He says that he is a prisoner of the Lord. Why? Paul wrote this while he was in prison, meaning as a prisoner, he was held captive. He was isolated. He was deprived of any type of communication and freedom. And I want us to slow down just for a second as we stop in verse 1. Consider with me, because imagine yourself like the Apostle Paul, that in state of sin and suffering, in light of persecution, not only is suffering the reality, you add a horrific layer of being in complete isolation. No one to depend on. No communication, complete isolation. And in this moment of solitude, the question becomes, how would you respond? But here the Apostle Paul in isolated suffering, what does he do? He responds like a prisoner of the Lord, and he writes to the church of Ephesus. And what I love about this letter to the church of Ephesus is that he's not complaining about his circumstance something that we would probably do in our circumstances, but what the Apostle Paul, in love, in light of his imprisonment for the sake of the gospel, he writes to the church of Ephesus to remember of their calling in Christ. But what I love about this calling to Christ is that he's also calling the believer to partake in the overall body of Christ, simply meaning the church community. How do we know this? Look at verse 2. Paul continues, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So what do we see? We see the apostle Paul 
stating that in light of your calling to godly character, to be humble, gentle, and patient. But what I love and what I want to highlight is that in these characteristics of Jesus, to be like Jesus, to reflect Jesus, he says to do it in a framework, to bear with one another in love. See, the Apostle Paul, he's essentially building upon a foundation of fundamental gospel truth. And he's saying to be with the people of God. Now, what I love about verse 2 is that Paul, he tells us how to bear with one another in love. He states these three graces. What does he say? To be humble, gentle, and patient. Now, it's interesting because I think if you look at those three graces on a, on a surface level, you can probably look at them and just say, oh, Paul's trying to just let the church of Ephesus know that they should be these type of people, right? You, know, you should be more humil- humble, you need to be more gentle, and you need to be a little bit more patient. But I think when the Apostle Paul talks about these three graces, he's talking more than just behavior modification, He's referring to these three graces as it has everything to do with Christ-like sanctification. I'm saying that again, that this has nothing to do with behavior modification. It has everything to do with grace-like sanctification. See, look at verse 1 and 2 again, because when you look at these three graces in verse 2, the character is because of the calling in verse 1. That is because of the calling to Christ And only in that alone can we respond in grace. See, the reality is, if these type of graces, these virtues, they come from yourself instead of your love for Christ, I guarantee you it will be temporary. Your humility will eventually fade because your pride is too big. Your gentleness will slowly die out because we are naturally angry. That patience that you had just for a little bit will slowly burn to a fade because we are too self-absorbed. See, I mean, how many times do we get annoyed by the person sitting right next to us just because you feel like they are wasting your time or you're simply thinking that you are better than them? Am I the only one that thinks that way? Y'all look so holy right now. Y'all need to repent of your self-deception. See, the reality is, is that for every one of us in some shape or form, right, in terms of our character, is something that we all lack. And the Apostle Paul knows this. So he's saying that if you want to develop in light of your character to become more like Jesus, the source must be Jesus Christ himself. So the Paul for Paul, he's reminding us, reflect humility, reflect gentleness and patience in lighting of your call to Christ. And only then can we respond in light of our community. That when you think about being humble, be reminded of Christ that was so humble, he humbled himself to a death on the cross. When we think about being gentle, remember that Jesus never ruled with force and anger, but love and grace. When we want to consider being patient with the people surround us, be reminded that it was Christ. He showed perfect patience in a long suffering. Our call to community is directly aligned to our calling in Christ. 
just as the person and work of Christ allow us to be in union with him, we are to reflect the person and work of Christ for the sake of union with others. We are called to community church. But the reality is, it's never that easy, is it? Because if you know anything about this life, life is all about calling. There's many callings in life. You have your calling essentially as a son and daughter in Christ. You have your calling in terms of your work context, your school field and relationship. There's all types of callings. And I probably know by now in your life stage that all of these callings are difficult, essentially in a lot of ways are calling with Christ. And in light of our calling with community, it's not that easy. And this leads us to the second point. There must be a commitment to community. Look at verse 3 with me. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Here, the Apostle Paul, he we see this urgent appeal. Some commentators note that there's actually a sense of crisis to it. And the Apostle Paul is making it very clear. Make every effort. Make every effort. Make every effort. Specifically here, the unity of the Spirit, right? When we talk about verse 3, is specifically referring to this Jew and Gentile relationship. And that, yes, there is Jew, and yes, there is Gentile, but because of Jesus Christ, there is one Spirit. And in the Spirit, in Him, that barrier is now broken. There is no just Jew, there is not just Gentile, but there is a oneness in Him, which we find earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, that the barrier is now destroyed. But what's interesting is that in light of this unified relationship between Jew and Gentile, the Apostle Paul is still kind of stating, you still have to make every effort that although the barrier is broken there's also a not yet dynamic to this broken barrier why the apostle paul is emphasizing to make every effort because in our sinful estate you and i we naturally produce discord biblical scholar d.a carson says it this way he talks about the church he says this Ideally, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, income levels, politics, nationalities, accents, jobs, or anything of that sort. Christians come together because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. All D.A. Carson is trying to say is that it's hard to maintain unity because the church is filled with natural enemies. And if not intentional with a supernatural gospel, there will be disunity. That you and I, as I'm talking to you guys right now, we are natural enemies. That means in some shape or form, I probably don't like you. But in Jesus' name, I have to love you. And you could say the same thing for me right now. See, because we by nature, we are too selfish. 
We by nature are too self-absorbed. We by nature are too individualistic. And by nature, we will create discord, chaos, and brokenness because of how high you view yourself and how low you view others. The question for us becomes, in what shape or form has your selfishness and self-absorption lead to a disunity within the context of the church. So where does our help come from? It shows up in verse 3. Then in light of your discord, in light of your self-absorption and your sin, where does our help come from? We'll look at verse 3. It tells us that there's a source, and it is through the bond of peace. Now, in the Greek, whenever you look at the word bond, it refers to something that's held together. And here, this bond is peace. And where the question becomes is where does this peace come from? Many commentators will note is that chapter 4 of Ephesians actually has a very similar tone to Colossians chapter 3, something that we read earlier in our call to worship. But let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15 as we talk about where this peace comes from. Therefore, as God's people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You're looking at the parallels from the verse that we're reading. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ roll in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Peace is essentially a state of reconciliation and love, and it acts as a bond to unite believers in Christ. But what's important to highlight is that Christians, you don't create unity. You're only to persevere the unity already established in you. See, due to our sin so savage and so, so severe, we by nature are at war against God, and there would be no hope unless someone would offer an ultimate peace offering. And on the cross, what we will see is that there would be a war, and it would be an ultimate war against sin. And this war was put on Christ for the sake of the peace of the world, the peace of our lives, the peace for you and I. And it is because of Christ, the one who had perfect peace with the Father. He would give it up on the cross so that you and I can now have a shalom, peace with Him. The point is this. Only if you become overwhelmed by the peace of Christ, then can you only be reminded to maintain unity. For it took all of this for unity with God and man. In other words, just as Christ fully committed to you, and he's shown this on the cross, which you consider fully committing to the body of Christ in response of what he has done for you. And I just want to be clear. I, know I see a lot of newcomers and visitors on a smaller day. It doesn't have to be metro. 
right? It can be any church that preaches the gospel. I just want to let y'all know that right now. But would you consider this truth that in your union with Jesus, that you're called to be in union with others? This leads us to our third and final point regarding community. And it is the hope in community. Read verses 4 through 6 with me. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now here the Apostle Paul, he presents seven acclamations, each using the word one. And it's for the readers, for you and I to be reminded of the unities we have in the Christian life. But if you place this microscope on verses 4 through 6, if you look at this sevenfold list, I would see that it's basically a threefold list. And in the threefold, we're actually seeing this language of Trinity. What do I mean by Trinity? That when we talk about the Christian faith, it's essential to know that we believe in a God, Father, Spirit, and Son, right? That in Father, Spirit, and Son, there's three in one God. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And when we see this Trinitarian God in verses 4 through 6, what we're seeing and what I think Paul is trying to argue that in verse 4, we see that there's a Holy Spirit. In verse 5, we see that there is Lord, but that Lord is a reference to possibly Jesus Christ. And that's what I would argue because in the book of Ephesians, 22 times at least, we see Jesus Christ is Lord. And then in verse 6, we see that there's one God and Father. Now what I think Paul is emphasizing is that this Father, Son, and Spirit relationship, there is a perfect oneness. And in this perfect oneness, when we see him as the triune God, perfect in his own community, if you will, that we can have hope in light of the community that is to come and the community within this church. See, the beauty of the body of Christ is that in light of individual narratives of brokenness where hope is needed, it's actually through this body of Christ that offers hope and renewal in times of need. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, I want to read a couple of these verses. It's actually one of the more popular verses when we talk about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 says that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts needs no special treatment. But God has put the body together, greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is to be part 
of it. See, in light of when we see God, Father, Spirit, and Son, perfect union. And when we look at Him and we get a little discouraged because of the discord and the brokenness, the sin and suffering in light of the community here. Oh, there is hope in God and who he is. And when we trust in the person and work of Christ, oh, there is great implications in the community for us right now. See, the reality is, is that in our journey to becoming more Christ-like, it is so difficult because it's filled with sin and suffering. But what makes this more difficult is that not only are you called as a, as a, a follower of Jesus, it actually gets a little bit more complicated because your life is now uh, interwoven, if you will, with other sinners and sufferers. See, the reality is sin is messy. And as sinners, you're going to make a lot of mess. So when sinners gather together, mess plus mess does not equal clean. It means more mess. But when two sinners gather and they come in repentance, they come in hope for the sake of renewal, in light of this sinful mess, what they ask is they need some help. They need a cleansing. You feel me this morning? And only then will there be a reconciliation. So yes, it is difficult. But when the Apostle Paul, he reminds us to remember to continue to live out the calling in light of the body of Christ, work through the difficulties. Seek community. Seek people, that there are people in this room, or maybe there's people within the room outside of this room. There are people that God has graced you with. There are people in your life that God has blessed you with. There are surrounding communities that love Jesus, and in light of loving Jesus, they want to walk through you. So in your life, particularly if you feel a little bit hopeless, you feel a little bit broken, know that God has bless you with the means of grace, and he calls it the body of Christ. If you are in this room right now, every single person in this room went through and is going through some type of suffering, but would you consider to press on? Find hope in Jesus Find it in community and respond in praise, knowing that God offers this means of grace within the context of messy but yet glorious relationships. I'm going to close with this and I will be out your way. You know, I I think about um, this picture where we as a community of God will just continue to be more dependent on one another because the reality is is that you and I will need it. Sometimes when you're uncertain about where you are, sometimes the circumstance gets a little bit heavy. Sometimes the suffering is a little bit too much heat for you and you're wondering, God, where are you? Just remember that, that, that when you look at the people that are surrounding you, there is hope. In light of uh, 
the NBA playoffs. I recently recalled one of the greatest games I've ever watched, and it was Game Five of the 1997 NBA playoffs, the finals, excuse me, and it was the Utah Jazz. Playing the Chicago Bulls. Now, what's so great about this game? This game that will be infamous、uh, and just probably one of my favorite games that I've come to watch. It would be infamously known as Michael Jordan's flu game. Now, in this game, what do we see? We witness Michael Jordan physically. Exhausted, he had flu-like symptoms. He was sick. He was suffering from these symptoms. And throughout the game, what do we see? We see him being staggered, dehydrated, and exhausted. But some way, somehow, at the end of the game, he still drops 38 points in his pivotal game five. Now, what was most memorable in light of his success was after his. Three-pointer in the final half minute that would give the Chicago Bulls this lead that they will not lose is what followed. Because immediately after that three-pointer, and they knew that they were going to come in victory. More than that shot, there would be this clip that would you just can never forget if you watched it. You can YouTube it immediately after service. In this video clip, we see Michael Jordan. The greatest of all time, I would argue, second. But we won't go there. What do you see? That Michael Jordan shoots the three. But as soon as it's done, and he called a timeout, he goes to his teammate Scottie Pippen, and just looking like this rag doll, just out of commission, completely exhausted. You just see him lean on his teammate. That in this moment where he was just physically unable to walk because he was so exhausted, he would collapse in Pippen's arms in pure exhaustion and full dependence of his teammate. That even one of the greatest physically needed the body to depend on and to play for the sake of victory. I don't know if I'm the only one in this room right now. But when you feel like sin consumes us, suffering surrounds us, and if you feel like you are just getting by, one shot at a time, one second at a time. I praise God that He gave me the body of Christ to depend on. That I rem- I'm reminded of my hope and my victory in Jesus. See, in light of life, you come to the realization that there will be much loss. And man, when there is loss, it will feel like a great weight. But have hope that in light of loss, there is victory. And we praise God that He provides people to walk with us in light of victory in His name. In salvation's sake, in the gospel, and in Christ alone. In light of your sin and suffering and solitude, remember that in Christ, not only does He supply Himself, He supplies us with others to be reminded of our everlasting hope in Him. I'm going to ask that you would join me in prayer.